Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. The All That and Mo podcast takes actual money to produce. My producer has a family to support, and I have to support him because I'm all about that. And I am so lucky and so fortunate and so excited to thank all of the folks on Patreon who are helping out. And I want to give shouts out to my Patreon peeps. So we're starting with the Add a Positivity Project. I see you out there. Thank you for your donations. Tawny, the mostly harmless, rad. Stephanie Chernikoff, awesome. Scott J, dope. Sarah Leslie. No, Sarah Lieste. Lieste. Lieste? Oh my gosh. I suck. Sarah, you're amazing. I apologize for butchering your name if I did. Minnow and Blossom, you're gorgeous. Meg Baca, thank you so much. Marty Wilder, amazing. So dope. Marshall Flax, delicious. Killer B1973, thank you so much. JP Robichaud, JP. I know you always got my back, bruh. Joanna Spencer, Jojo to my mojo, who's known me since I'm fucking like five years old. Joe, thank you. I love you. Hadera Copley Woods, thank you so much for your awesomeness, for your donation, for your persistence. Esther, you're amazing. You're beautiful. You're fantastic. DK, shout out to my home bro. Thank you, homie, for supporting me and supporting this podcast. Anna Biddle, you're gorgeous. You're amazing. You're fabulous. Thank you. Andrea, doing it, doing it, doing it well. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Amy Willaert, you are a fucking rock star. Thank you. Eric Meredith Goujon, one of the most brilliant artists that I know. You're the bomb. Love you and so appreciate your support. Now I move to the second tier, Liz Scott, who is a longtime personal, personal friend. I am so very fucking grateful for your support. Thank you so much, Elizabeth Scott. And to my latest and dopest patron, Healthy Life, who is in the champagne room with me. And if you ever choose to join Healthy Life, you will also receive the benefit of all the secret Patreon early releases. And as well, you are entitled to some of my time. So check out patreon.com. All that in Mo or Molina or whatever the fuck it is. I don't know. There'll be a link in the description because my producer's amazing. Thank you. Thank all of you so much because without you, I really wouldn't be able to continue doing this podcast because I can't just keep hemorrhaging money forever. So you are helping me to bring the word to the world. Thank you. I love you. Greetings from beautiful Birmingham. England. I am here in Jolly Old. Tomorrow I will be doing some lectures as part of uh, uh, the Birmingham Bazaar Bazaar. And what's funny about this is that years ago, years and years ago, probably around maybe 2007, when I was doing it, no, it was before 2007. Oh shit, it might have been like 2004. I'm pretty sure I went to this event. So how odd is it to come back how many years later, almost a decade later, to be a featured presenter? So the episodes that are going to be coming up for the next few weeks are going to be lectures that I'm sharing 
here in my podcast. So it's going to be a little bit of a change of pace. The main reason that I'm putting these out here is so that they will live on and so that they will be accessible to everyone. Not everyone has the wherewithal means or capacity to obtain education and classes about kink and BDSM. And I very profoundly and strongly believe that there are lessons for regular everyday fucking life to be found within the freedom and the exploration that those of us who do kink and BDSM enjoy. So the next few weeks, yeah, are going to be these lectures. The sound quality might not be as epic as I would like because I'm basically using a little clip on lavalier. So I just want to put that out there in case people are judging my producer for the quality. It's me. All right. It's all me. But I'm very glad and very delighted to be able to bring you part one of this two-part lecture. This lecture is a class that I call Shy Freaks, BDSM for the Introvert. And the secret about this class is that I don't actually wind up giving people a little 10-point list of bullets on how to overcome shyness. Basically, I don't feel like who we are is something we need to overcome. I feel like it's more about figuring out your weird and your quirks and your kinks and your bumps and your divots and figuring out how to roll anyway. So here's part one of this class. I hope you enjoy. Thank you. Let's start with a very warm um, welcome from our side. Let's ask Rick. I'm Benji. We are the founders of Crucible. And we are super, super stoked to have so many new faces here. And especially one new face. Yeah. <laughs> We've been looking forward to this so very much. Um, yeah. Without much further ado, welcome everyone. Welcome very much. Thank you. Yeah. Yay. Thank you so much. Um, so before I start talking with the official stuff, I want to do some sort of business in the room so that we're all on the same page. Okay. First and foremost, I know that probably all of you are amazing multilingual folks, but I am also American with hogtied language skills. So no disrespect, but if I say something that you don't understand, or if I use a phrase with which you are not familiar, I would like to enter into an agreement that you will raise your hand or shake your foot or make a scrunchy face and then say, what the fuck is that, bitch, so that I can explain it. The reason is it's very frustrating. I know when I'm at a talk or at a presentation and something breezes by me, I hate having to ask. I hate having to say, I don't know something. I'm a gifted child. We have issues. Okay. However, it's going to be good for everyone because I promise you, if you don't know something, someone else is also here who doesn't know something. Second part. I am awesome. I have had a great deal of experience. It's my experience and my awesomeness. I may say something with which you do not agree. Maybe you don't agree violently. Maybe you're like, she's full of shit. That's bullshit. And that's awesome. Because so often the times I have learned the most important lessons is when someone said something to me that actually pushed me in the other direction to realize that's not what I want. That's not who I am. So I'm not up here to tell you how to live your life. I'm not up here to tell you that I know everything and that my way is perfect and wonderful and awesome for everyone. It is not. My hope is that you leave here this evening having had at least one moment where you said, ah, 
okay, yes, that will be helpful for me. That's my hope. Third thing, what happens in the room stays in the room, please. You can tell anyone anything I say. I don't give a fuck. But someone else may share something that's very personal. So please don't let, if someone does share something, let that be an open invitation to you to go up to them later and say, you know, I also have a peanut butter and jelly and egg furry fetish. You know, like leave that to their personal space. If you need to leave, please do. I will not take it personally. I'm just here to serve you. I'm not here to have my ego stroked or boosted. It's much better that you, each and every one of you, take care of yourselves, right? The reason I started teaching this class many years ago was because I had someone laugh in my face when I told them that I uh, had social anxiety and was very shy. They were like, (laughs) they literally just laughed in my face. And what was funny is that because of my anxiety, I laughed too. Like I was just like, oh, you're right. That's so ridiculous. (laughs) How could I possibly have social anxiety? Meanwhile, I am dying inside because it took me so many years to even get to the point where I acknowledged my own issues, right? Words like masking, ideas of people having neurodiversity, that was not what I came up with. There was no acknowledging of the fact that many people have many different ways of coping with the nonstop stream of information that is living in these meat bags that we're all living in, right? And everyone's experience is going to be very different, and everyone's social experience is going to be very different. And I started realizing that my anxiety and my shyness had always been present in my life, but my coping mechanisms were so flawless that I didn't realize that these things were painful. I was born in New York City, and I started acting professionally in film, theater, and television when I was six years old. So starting from age six, I was putting on my cutest outfit, doing my hair, going downtown, and having to walk into a room full of older white people and convince them that I was the best person for the job, that I was the cutest, I had the best afro, I had the best voice, I had the best smile. And that was how I learned to interact with the world. Be entertaining, be on at all times, be charming and adorable, and that way you get things, right? And even if there was discomfort attached to that, it did not matter. My own personal emotional discomfort didn't matter because what mattered was getting that job, was booking that commercial, was getting that print ad. Yeah. That was the thing that was at the center of my experience for me. When I got a little bit older and I was in high school, um, when I would have anxiety because I was a very poor kid in a school where there were not a lot of very poor kids. And that anxiety of not being able to do the stuff that other kids did got buried in my complete conviction. Like I was convinced that as long as I was as entertaining and as wonderful and as shiny and sparkly as possible, I would have friends. I would have people who liked me. I would have people who accepted me. And when I realized that sometimes social stress could be very difficult, I started doing the shot before I went to a party. I have a beer, I have a glass of wine. And that really helped a lot. And the end result of that, if we fast forward 27 years, is that I wound up in rehab for alcoholism. Mm-hmm. 
So that was not such a great coping mechanism. But this is how serious shit can get when we don't know ourselves. I was not aware and I did not realize or I did not understand that I was in possession of a body that had severe anxiety. I was not aware that I was pushing myself socially every fucking time I did anything with someone other than myself. I didn't get it until I got sober. And it really hit me when I had, I went to rehab. I did the whole thing where I was in an inpatient clinic for a month. And then I came out and the week after I got out of rehab, friends called me and they wanted to have a dinner party. And the wrenching gut panic that hit me when my best friend just invited me to dinner was so new that it shocked me out of my usual place. And I was like, why am I freaking out so bad? It's Julie. I know her. She loves me. Why am I hyperventilating because of a dinner invitation? It didn't make sense with who I thought I was. And so as a sober person, I had to stop and realize that I could no longer self-medicate with alcohol to get over my bullshit. I had to go and basically raw dog life for the first time ever. And I was like, this stuff. I don't know how the rest of you have been doing this for the whole time because this is shit. <laughs> this is crap. But thankfully, I was able to take a deep breath and say, you know what? I'm just going to have to start again and figure out who the hell I am. I'm going to have to figure out who Melina is without any crutches, without any booze, without anything to get me through the day. And I realized that I did not have really good tools for the outside world. But I also realized that Kate and BDSM had given me some tools that were actually really helpful and applicable to dealing with some of my anxiety. And one of the things that I, um, that I do to help myself as a presenter is what I did before the class just now, which is I met all of you. You, as a group, are incredibly intimidating. Crowds of people are a mob. <laughs> Mobs turn on you. Audiences turn on you. There's always this terror when you get up on stage. It's like at one point, is that tomato just going to come sailing out of the dark and pop you in the head, right? Whether actually or spiritually, because you don't have to have a tomato to throw a tomato, if you know what I mean. And so what I figured out was that if I can just see that each of you is a person like me in your little bag of meat, struggling along every day, then you're not a mom. You're a collection of awesome souls. And that's a lot easier for me to deal with. And so thank you for being here, being awesome souls, and thank you for meeting me, um, because that assisted me so greatly in being able to take a deep breath and share with you. So thank you. And that's one of the, that's one of my tricks. So if you are a presenter or teacher or lecturer, there's a freebie, there you go. Coming back to uh, the BDSM scene after I got sober and after I realized that uh, my social anxiety was very difficult, I started taking it apart to see where else my shyness, my uh, difficulty in communicating, not communicating at all, I'm an excellent communicator, obviously, <laughs> but it's so different to sit in front of folks and share in general than it is to actually sit with another person or two other people and say, this is what I want. Or even worse, this is what I need. 
because along with anxiety, there comes fear. And fear is incredibly useful to us as humans. It helps us to stay alive. Fear comes from root elemental places, that gut feeling that we get. Those things are absolutely critical to being a human being and surviving. And those things can also stomp on your self-esteem and make communication very difficult. It's very hard when you're coming into a community to figure out who you are even within that community. And you sure as fuck, it would be very helpful if you knew yourself really well before you jumped in and tried to deal with a bunch of other people. Because if you don't know who you are, what you want, and what you're willing to do to get it, you're never going to get it. You can't just go out there and say, like, I want a play partner. What, what kind of play partner? What expertise would you like them to have? What side of the whip do you want them to be on? Do you even know what side of the whip you're on? Are you looking for a long-term relationship? Are you looking for intimacy? Are you looking for a series of hot one-night stands? What do you need in order to feel good about yourself? And if you are too reluctant to even say those things aloud to yourself, it's going to be super impossible for you to share that with someone else. So for those of us who have social issues, who have difficulty communicating, practice communicating with yourself first. Just think about the things that you need in a relationship. Think about the people with whom you'd like to connect. Think about what your perfect scene would look like. Think about what your worst scene would look like. Oftentimes people forget to think about worst case scenarios and think about recovering from issues and problems. This is a critical and important aspect to being in the scene. You have to think about what happens when shit goes off the rail, right? And absolutely, I encourage you to sit with yourself Take a day, take an afternoon and just say, like, what the hell do I want? What would be my ultimate desire in a relationship, in friendships, in scenes, in play, in, in, in long-term connect connectivity? What do you want? And when you can articulate that to yourself, then be able to celebrate that. Anyone have like a fetish or a kink or a thing that they want? that they are absolutely completely embarrassed to tell anyone about. And they're just sitting there like, okay, yeah, I know that there's a lot of people who aren't raising their hands throughout the thing. Yay! All of us have creepy shit in the corners of our mind. We all have that. Humans all have this. The awesome thing about us is that we have decided to take those monsters and bring them out to play. We have decided to walk into that creepy basement and see what's going on down there. We have chosen to say, yes, I embrace this darkness, this terror, this evil, because it is sexually fulfilling, because it is exciting, because it is interesting. And the reality is that is risky. And that risk is also part of the fear, and that fear can really fuel those of us who are anxious. And that anxiety that we feel is part of figuring out what we do and don't need to do, right? Not all fantasies need to be realized. Some fantasies can just stay in your head, and that's fine. I want to acknowledge that you can be a big, nasty, gross, slimy, kinky, drooling, tangling pervert without actually 
doing something fucked up to someone else. I personally believe, this is my belief, that perversion is in your soul. <laughs> no one can take that away from you. <laughs> it is your heart. It is your identity. When I first came into the scene, I met a lot of people who were very insistent that unless you were actively owned by someone, you were not really a slave. Unless you had a submissive in your service, you were not really a master or an owner. And as I was, you know, I came into the scene, I had a trainer for the first two years I was involved in the scene. That relationship did not work out. And so I left service to him. And immediately, people started looking at me like, who do you think you are to teach? You don't even have a master. No one even owns you. And that hit me for a while. There was a good year where I was like, I, they're right. I, who the fuck am I to say anything? And there was a woman who was one of the, um, I guess sort of one of the grandmothers of the leather scene in the U.S. And her name is Vi Johnson. And she was one of my heroes because when I first got involved in kink, I saw exactly no black women who identified as submissives or slaves uh, in my area. And then someone said to me, well, you need to go research Vi Johnson because she's been in the scene since the 70s. And she's like one of the most well-known consensual slaves ever. And I was just like, oh my God, that sounds kind of amazing. If there's one, there's got to be more. Someone else has to be there. I finally had the pleasure of meeting her, and after reading one of her books, she wrote this book about her experience as a slave. Uh, after reading that book, I decided I was not a fucking slave. I was like, this is terrible. Oh my God, no, Jesus, fuck, right? You did what? <laughs> I'm not taking speed so I can stay up for three days to clean my mistress's house. That's ridiculous. <laughs> the 70s were a special time. <laughs> oh my God. Jesus. And so when I met her, and I was like, thank you for you know keeping me from wasting my time. I'm clearly not a slave because I'm not going to like mess myself up. You know, do whatever. And she looked at me and she said, why do you think you're not a slave? I said, well, you know, I self-preservation, <laughs> kind of selfish and crazy that way. And um, and I said, and plus, you know, like I'm kind of a bitch. I'm very pushy and very loud. You know, my last, my first trainer was like, you know, giving me all these voice restrictions, and I got punished because like my attitude was too whatever. And she said, you know, it's not about not being a slave. It's about finding the owner who sees you. It's about finding the person who, when they meet you, all they can think is, I need to have this person. I need to own them. As they are. Not to be molded and twisted and fucked up into their idea of who you should be. And I was like, well, that seems rather controversial coming from, like, speed free cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> And the reality is that each of us has to find our path. And it sometimes can feel extra difficult when socially you have awkwardness, when emotionally you're having to push yourself to even have a conversation with someone. But if I can say one thing, I can, I can share with you that everyone experiences that type of difficulty. So we are not alone in that. I think our difficulty is that it's a little harder for us, for those of us who are shy, for those of us who do have self-esteem or anxiety issues, right? And 
there's many things you can do. There's, you know, I will give some hard and fast sort of advice and all of that shit. But mostly, I want to invite you to honor yourselves and to understand that your shyness, your freakiness, your weirdness, whatever you want to call it, is part of what makes you a fucking badass. If you are awkward and weird, I will tell you. Let me tell you how I met the last uh, boyfriend I met, um, who was not in, who was not from the scene. He was at a, I was at a pizzeria, and the guy behind the counter was cute as hell. And I was like, oh my god, hot pizza guy. <laughs> <laughs> and my friend was like, you just talk to him. I'm like, no, 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 no. And we're eating our pizza, and every time I looked up, he was like looking at me, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and she's like, go talk to him. I'm like, no, I can't. And she's like, you are fucking unbelievable. I was like, I cannot. I can't. And so finally, like, the whole dinner, he's sitting there staring at me. And I'm just like, so we leave. And my, we get to the saddle. My friend's like, seriously, he's not. Like, the dude was on me. I was like, why didn't he come over and say anything to me then? She's like, he's working. It's inappropriate. <laughs> I was like, okay, so maybe he's like just a gentleman or something. Like, that's not doing me any good, though. So I was like, okay, give me a piece of paper. So my friend gave me a piece of paper, and I literally wrote a fucking note. Hi, I think you're cute. Here's my number. My name is Melina. And I was like, okay, okay. And this was my super suave approach to the hockey (laughs) today. And my friend is on her phone like, I need to post on Twitter that I just watched my friend run into the pizzeria. <laughs> and I was like, don't reveal my secret. <laughs> before we had even gotten, we were in Oakland at the time, before we had even gotten back across the bridge to San Francisco, I had three missed calls from this <laughs> And he was like, he looked at me. He's like, "That was the cutest shit I ever fucking seen." He's like, "Here, this is my number. You may call." And I was like, "Oh my god, it worked!" <laughs> Lean into the awkward. Here's the thing: if someone doesn't like weird, awkward dorks, you don't want to fucking date them, do you? <laughs> no. If someone's off put by the fact that you occasionally feel the need to meow randomly. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Get it out there in front. This is one of the most amazing things about perverts is that we meet each other. We're like, hi, nice to meet you. All of my shit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who is blown away by this? The Miller people. They're like, wait, what? You can do that? <laughs> I was having like a hair weave put in by this girl who was like second generation Guyanese and she was lovely and awesome. And as happens when you're having an intimate moment with a hairdresser, we start talking about life. And she's talking about her boyfriend, this and this and that, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't want kids. And I'm like, they've been dating for like five years. I was like, why are you still with a guy if he doesn't want kids and you, all you want is kids? And she's like, well, but we've been together for so long. I was like, wait, bitch, wait, wait. You didn't talk about that before you like got, I was like, what, what, what were you waiting for? And she's like, well, it just felt like it was too soon to talk. I was like, oh my God. Wow. Could you imagine dating someone for six months and then being like, so you're talking about <laughs> Ridiculous. 
And yet the default world lives their life like it's a fucking game of roulette. We do not. It doesn't make us better human beings, but it makes us better at life. <laughs> because it means that what we are doing is saying, this is what we need, this is what we want. Are you on any of these pages? Do you How many of these boxes can you check off? And then you go and explore if the rest of it's going to be awesome. Right? And this is the benefit of just being a fucking nutcase out loud. Being a weirdo out loud. If eye contact is difficult for you, say that shit. If putting together complete sentences when you are horny for someone is difficult for you, say that shit. Because what you are doing is two things. You are putting yourself out there authentically and you are giving the other person permission to also do so. It's very hard to be who we are, isn't it? I find it really fucking tough. And when you are in relationships with people and you try to be who you are, you are successful for yourself and also for them. You are giving them permission to be the weirdos and to occasionally bark for no reason at all. Right? Ah, whew, so Questions? Oh, feelings, concerns? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just all take a moment to bring it all back here. <laughs> <laughs> to work on my lineage, but I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Oof, I should have bought my fan. This is the fucking issue with being like a little lady. Your hormones are like, have some sweat. <sighs> okay, so um, when I first came into the scene, I wanna, I'm going to sidetrack a little bit because this is an important thing I feel we need to share with everyone. Of course, it will eventually be relevant to the rest of the stuff, but when you are considering um, engaging with other people and thinking about your own personal issues and your own anxiety and all of the things that come with that, make sure that you are taking the time to be kind to yourself and to put yourself first. Please be selfish. And I want to stress this, especially to some people who identify as submissives and slaves. Because the thing is that dominance and tops are often encouraged to be selfish. And not always encouraged to be selfish in ways that are healthy. People don't necessarily associate selfishness with healthiness, but I'm here to tell you that healthy selfishness is absolutely necessary for you to have good self-esteem. My first dominant gave me a rule when I first came into his house, and it was something that he referred to as a prime directive. And if you're a Star Trek fan, you're like, what? The Star Trek people are like, what? I'm like, no, you can interfere in pre-war cultures if you want. That's fine. <laughs> I'm not going to come down on you for that. Um, but what the Prime Directive said was the following, and I will say it twice. It is the slave's first responsibility to protect the property at all times, up to and including from the master themselves. I'll say it again. It is the slave's primary and first responsibility to protect the property up to and including from the master themselves. And what this does for the master is it lets them know that their property is self-checking and running diagnostics and will report if there's a fucking problem. And what this says for the submissive or the slave is that your first responsibility is not to serve your owner. Your first responsibility is to take care of yourself and make sure you are up and running physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. 
That is what I call healthy selfishness. Because what that means is you are saying, myself, this vehicle that I'm in, the spirit it contains, this is all I've got. And if I break this trying to serve someone else, then ultimately my desire to serve has been destroyed because now I'm broken. You know what I'm saying? I am very much a person who is a martyr. I am the one who will like work myself to death so I can prove that I am worthy. That's one of my big holes in my heart. I have to earn everything I get. I have to earn love. I have to earn respect. It is not intrinsic because I do not have intrinsic value. And this is the mind of an alcoholic. And so getting past that, fascinatingly, was something that slavery enabled me to do. It was very interesting to me how much stronger my self-esteem became when I knew that my service was valuable and it was acknowledged and received. So many people will suck up your energy and your love and your light, and it just disappears into a black hole. You don't want a black hole. You want a mirror. You want someone who shines your light back on you, right? You want to be seen. We don't necessarily want to be seen all the time. <laughs> there are plenty of times when I'm just like, please, I am not here. But the reality is, in relationships, in negotiation, we do want to be seen. And that brings me right into the next part of negotiation, which if you are someone who struggles with shyness, can be really hard. Why is that? First of all, sharing with someone what your needs are is hard. Telling someone what you want is difficult. I mean, I can't fucking do it in McDonald's. I stand there for like 10 minutes going, oh my God, you're good. Like, how am I supposed to go from that to like, oh my God, rope bondage <laughs> or clogging? <laughs> and for the first few years I was involved in the scene, I was with, uh, I was in service to this one dominant who had a very formally structured leather household with multiple servants, and he had like a partner who was sort of like the maitre d' of the house. It was all very, it was a lot. And one of the things that I realized about myself is that I don't do well uh, 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 in a pool of other submissives. I'm just like, I, I don't want, I don't play well with others. I was like, I need to be in the kitchen in charge. I need to not have five other bitches trying to chop the potatoes. <laughs> like, bitch number three and four chopping them off. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, so I'm that asshole. Fine, I realized that about myself. <laughs> but the next time I went into a relationship, because I was a little bit emotionally kind of beaten up from that relationship, I wasn't very good about expressing my needs because I was afraid that if I asked for too much, I was going to be seen as too much. Who wants to be too much? So I started doing that thing where someone would be like, so what do you like? I don't know, what do you like? I would observe people and see the type of play that they did, and I would say, well, I'll just ask them for that because I already know that that's what they want. And I pushed myself down into a tiny box for a few years because I thought that that was the only way for me to have connection with people. If I was pleasing to them, if I was interesting to them, if I was what they wanted. But you know the problem that occurs if you start to shift to become what other people want? 
you're nothing. You now don't exist. There's a there's a there's a really beautiful story by Ray Bradbury, who's a I think he's American uh, science fiction writer, and it's about it's, it's in the book The Martian Chronicles, and in the story um, is a colony of humans on Mars, and a woman like wakes up on Mars, you know, starts making her breakfast, and suddenly her son comes home from the war, who she hasn't seen in years. And she's crying and she's embracing, she's so happy. And then the scene cuts to another woman who runs over to her neighbor's house and says, Oh my god, my husband just got back. You know, and she's like, Oh my god, my son just got back. And then it goes on, it turns out, um, suddenly everyone in the village has had someone who was lost to them return to them. And this is this huge celebration, and then everyone in the village gets together and they're like, Oh, there's my husband, there's my son, there's a, but they're all pointing to the same person. And then that person starts to shake apart and then just melts away. Um, and then you see their true form, and it was an alien, and it was an alien who thrives on love. And so the alien had been shifting its body to be whoever the person longed for the most, and then eventually they just they killed them. And I read this the first time when I was like five or six years old, and I was like, oh my God, that's me. That's what I do. I make sure that I change for whoever is there so that I'm the funny for this person, Serious for that person. I was like, that's nice. But even as a kid, I realized that that was not good. Please don't do that. Please don't let your anxiety and your shyness push you to shift to become who you think someone else wants or needs. Because that is a recipe for self-harm. So if there's, you know, just finding your heart the place where you embrace your weirdness and you embrace your awkwardness and you give yourself the love in the place where you are. People will often say, oh, you, what is it, what is it like, um, no one can love you until you can love yourself. Do they give you that bullshit here? Mm-hmm. I hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I will tell you the first time I heard someone say something against that, and it made sense. I was in an alcoholic anonymous meeting. And someone stood up and did their little thing, and they're like, we're here to love you until you can love yourself. And I was like, oh, that's nice. I like that. Because a room full of addicts, we're not really good at loving ourselves. (laughs) So to have everyone say, you don't have to love yourself. You can feel like you're a piece of shit. That's cool. We're going to love on you. You piece of shit. <laughs> We're going to make you the most lovable, adorable poop you have ever imagined. And I laughed, but then I felt a little bit lighter in that moment. And I said, oh, you know what? I don't have to be perfect. The idea that you must achieve something in order to get something. You need to love yourself in order to be loved. You need to have your finances together in order to fuck all of that. Be who you are in the moment because A, you will never be that person again, so celebrate that person. And C, you don't know who you're going to be in 24 hours. You don't know. So be present and celebrate who you are with all the awkwardness, with all the weirdness, with all the difficulty people do. Because that person is gorgeous. Yeah? That person is amazing. That person who drops a note and runs away is as smooth as the person who has taken a three-week intensive course on how to talk to the opposite sex. You are as skilled. You already know how to do that. 
you already know how to meet people. You already know how to talk to people. You just have to do it in a way that is the most comfortable for you. When people started talking about how the internet pulled people apart and isolated people, I said, okay, some people, sure. But you need to understand also for many people, the capacity to communicate non-verbally has meant that they're able to reach out, connect with, and become intimate in different ways with so many people that they might not have ever been able to connect with. Going to a convention, I, I, I have been to literally hundreds of leather conventions. And I will tell you, um, many years ago, I went to a leather convention and they had something called a trick board. A trick is a term, you know that term? A trick is a term for a sexual encounter. It's oftentimes used by sex workers. So if a sex worker has a partner, that person is known as a trick. And it's also used by the sort of like hookup community. Like, oh, I had a great trick last night. Um, and it was something called a trick board. And it was literally a huge white board that was set up in a corner of the lobby of the hotel. And you could put notes up there for people. And you could say, hey, hot redhead with ponytails I saw on the thing, whatever. And then people would like run up the board and be like, am I on this board? <laughs> and then if you weren't on the board, you'd be like, oh, I'm not on the board. I'm like, oh, maybe I should put someone else on the board. And they put little things up there. Now, did anyone say, well, that's stupid. Why can't people just don't talk to people? No, they did not. Because we're specifically there to, first of all, to assist with people who are shy, you know, but then also became fun for everyone. Uh, and I, 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 I did, I actually had, I, I didn't have my name up there at any point, but I did put a little thing up there and then someone came and found me and they were like, oh my God, oh my God, I'd love to play with you. But I have seven partners here. <laughs> like, you fucking poly people. <laughs> oh my god. I'm like, okay, so can we play in like two years? <laughs> and I'm laughing, but that shit has gone down. I'm like, how do you kidding? I had one friend that took us almost a decade to play. So we, and we were friends, we were, and she was like, I'm gonna beat your ass, I'm gonna beat my ass, I'm gonna beat your ass. And like, next year, you're gonna beat your ass, I'm totally beat your ass. Like, how about she's like, oh, I got three in it. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, all right, okay, I'll see you at Shabaricon. Like, Shabaricon, like, hey, this is like, oh my god, I got like eight. I was like, well, I'm like, I got two. I'm like, I don't <laughs> But what I realized is that um, there's so much perception of who other people are that's based on our own bias and our own ideas of who other folks are. Please don't do yourself the disservice of assuming that that hottie over there is not also paralyzed with fear and about to shit themselves. Very few people who look at me understand that I am shaking inside most of the time. That basically I have this huge shiny electron shell, but in the middle is a tiny marshmallow peak going, oh, please love me, please. But that's my truth. I just happen to have really awesome Coping skills. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it isn't uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that two hours ago I was literally face down in bed going, maybe I can just zoom this in. <laughs> so then I was just like, I can't this point. Benji worked so hard. <laughs> so give yourself that room to figure out your best way to communicate and then to exploit that to your best ability. Right? And do this in every aspect of your negotiation. If talking to someone face-to-face -face is really hard, 
let them know, say, you know what, I have such a hard time focusing face-to-face. Can we do this with text messaging? If someone is um, compassionate, they will not only respond to you, they will be excited that you let them know how best to talk to you, right? These are really also excellent ways to screen potential partners and to figure out how to move through the world. If someone pushes back against you for just you saying, I need to communicate in this particular way, is that cool? Then you have saved yourself some heartache and pain, probably. You figured that out early. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb. Theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.